Hey, everybody. This is Patrick, the Chief Monkey and founder of Wall Street Oasis. Just wanted to first off say thank you so much for listening to this podcast. Second, wanted to make sure for any of you in the market for financial modeling training, remind you that Wall Street Oasis does have some incredible financial modeling training courses, including Excel modeling, financial statement through, you know, linking up the three statements, DCF, valuation, M&A, LBO, um, even more niche courses like 13-week cash flow, venture capital course, real estate modeling, you name it. Go ahead and check them out at wallstreetoasis.com slash courses. Thanks for the support. Wouldn't it be cool if there was a Netflix for finance? Well, there is. It's called Real Vision, and it gives you unprecedented access to some of the most respected names in finance. Watch interviews with legends like Kyle Bass, Jeff Gunlock, Stanley Drunkenmiller, and many, many more. If you want to be part of the Real Vision revolution, visit realvision.com slash WSO. Hello and welcome. I'm Alex Grodnick, and this is Moving Up, a podcast about secrets to success, struggles along the way, and life in general. Today on the pod, a five-time founder, Jeff Solomon. Jeff was an entrepreneur before anyone knew what that was, why he did it, what set him apart, and how to follow his success. A user on SoundCloud named VC Capital reached out to me this week. Here's what they said. I realized that your conversations have one thing in common. You talk about how life is out there and you can do anything you want if you just apply yourself and attempt all these scary things. But have you ever considered the fact that coming from a white male background greatly increases your chances of success and luck? Good question. Here's the thing. People love to make excuses for why they haven't accomplished their goals. It's just our nature. It's easy to blame something or someone other than ourselves. Actually looking at it and admitting that we didn't try hard enough, that's much more difficult. Also, I think life is about using whatever you can to get ahead. If you're smart, use that. Pretty, use that. Have family connections, use those. We're all just animals roaming around trying to get ahead. And if you have a leg up, use whatever you can. Take, for example, pay club. Do I have advantages because I'm a white male? Yeah, sure. But I'm not the smartest. I went to good schools, but not the best ones. I came from a nice family, but don't really have any connections of note. What I do have is determination. I'm determined to make my startup work, just like I was determined to break into banking when I didn't get the job out of undergrad. The reason I'm talking about pay club here is because we've sent over a thousand cold emails and not just blasts of cold outreach. I'm talking about a thousand customized, highly targeted emails to people that I think would want to get involved in my journey. And it's starting to work. Finally, I don't care what your background is. If you grind your ass off and make a product that is actually good and can change the world, and then you send a thousand customized emails you're going to get results. If, on the other hand, you say, well, I'm a woman and I didn't go to Penn, so I'm at a disadvantage and there's no point of me even trying, then that's on you. Yes, some people are going to have advantages and their paths may have a little less debris to hack through than you. But does that mean you shouldn't try or that you can't be successful? Fuck no. If you're determined to do something, then you can. You'll see. When PayClub raises millions of dollars and becomes a hot fintech startup. And if it doesn't, well, it's on me, not on anyone else. 
Hey, Jeff Solomon, we're in WeWork, Playa Vista. Thanks for having me over to your co-working space here. Yeah, man, it's good to meet you and uh, happy to be here. Yeah, so you, uh, I'm trying to remember how you phrased it on your LinkedIn, but like you are a soup to nuts startup guy. You've done everything from making copies to being the CEO. Um, was yeah. that always who you are? Were you always a startup person? I like making copies, I'm mm-hmm. going to say. Yeah, I mean, I just was always one of these guys that was just like pretty good at everything. I was never like the best at anything. Um, Although I was, I would say I was never really that good at school, but like most of the things that we did, like we played games or if I did sports or, you know, if I built things or, you know, any, any kind of like just general life stuff, I was pretty good. And I, you know, I, I, that served me pretty well. And so when I got into startups, which was not like a plan, you know, it wasn't like, oh, hey, I'm going to build a huge startup. Like that wasn't how it got to this point. But I just like did a lot of stuff, you know, and then eventually would hire someone to take over one piece or the other, you know. Um, but it was just like because because I could do a lot, it it enabled me to kind of get started quickly with things. Okay. So you went to college, I presume? I did. not. It was sort of like I definitely wanted to go to college, and that was definitely the plan. I went to Brentwood, which is pretty good, hard private school. Mm-hmm. Um, but I didn't, like I said, didn't get very good grades. Um, and I applied, I think, to like thirteen or fourteen schools, and I got into one. So it was pretty clear where I was going to go, which was Arizona State. Um, uh, so I went there, and then left LA, and then came back after that. Got it. That's where my parents went. That's where they met. They went to ASU. Uh huh. Really? Oh, yeah. It's, it's un- I mean, it's a huge school, like a ton of people go there, but like in the circles that are like I operate in, it's not a common one. It's not like, you know. Well, you should have become an architect then. They have good, they have good schools there. Did, yeah. Are they architects? No. Oh, okay. They are, yeah, they have good, like the media schools there, like the, like astronomy schools, like really good. Like obviously baseball is really strong. They have some, it's a, it's a gem of a school and it's a hell of a lot of fun. And Tucson's cool. My dad just sold the house that he bought when he went to school there. Oh, really? Yeah. He had a house while he was at college. Uh huh. And he like rented it out for thirty years, and now he just sold it. When did he? When did he graduate? Well, it's, he probably graduated. I mean, do you know when your dad graduated college? I'm trying to think. He probably graduated. I don't know. Your like dad's probably younger than 80? my dad, right? You're younger. I, think, you're I, I mean, I was born in '86, so yeah, he probably graduated in what, like '80. '80, okay. No, maybe yeah. like earlier, maybe like okay, 70, so. late '70s, something like wow, that. Wow. So he must he paid like five grand for that yeah, house. Yeah, he paid like nothing for that house. Yeah. Cool. <laughs> and he got rent for 30 years and then sold it for much more than that. Yeah. It was in Phoenix or Tempe? In Tempe, yeah. Oh, dude, killer. Yeah. <laughs> that was a good one. That was a good one. Yeah, that's cool. That, uh, like... I was born in Phoenix. Oh, you were? Mm-hmm. Okay. Zero nice. to nine in Scottsdale. Oh, okay. Yeah. Interesting. So you were probably, you were born in 86? I was born in 86, yeah. Yeah, so, yeah, I was there when you were like eight years eight years old, I was there. You were there? Yeah, I graduated in 96. Oh, man. Too bad you should have invited me out to the college parties. I know. It was fun. I had a lot of fun there. <laughs> but I wasn't, I didn't think of myself as an entrepreneur at any time before or during that time. But what are you thinking you were going to do when you finished? I had no idea. Like, I really was just like going through the motions. You know, I have this funny story and I've told it on, told it on a few other podcasts and written about it in the past. But like, I was coming to, I was getting ready to graduate and I did it in like four and a half, five years, not four. But, and my dad was like, well, what do you want to do? And like, I have no idea. And my dad was like a Wharton guy, you know, like like corporate business guy, like not not my style at all. I knew that for sure. Like I wasn't that guy. I wasn't going to business school. I was like done with the education side at that time. 
And um, he's like, well, why don't you go meet this buddy of mine? He's got this company. You can go check it out. Maybe he has a job for you or whatever. And so I go meet this guy and he's got, he's got this company that's like, it's, they make like plastic products and stuff in manufacturing here in LA. And it was pretty big. They did like 50 million bucks in sales. So it was a decent sized company. And he was like, well, I have no idea what you can do or what you're good at, but your dad's like really smart. So I'll just hire you and you can figure it out. That's how I got my first job. Love it. Yeah, that's cool. Things, hopefully things still work like that. That'd be cool. I'd like to think that you can just get a job like that, but things seem so competitive now. I don't know that it works like that. I think, that, I mean, that guy was cool that he took a chance and could afford to tend to take a chance. And he yeah. just sort of like was like, hey, you'll kind of figure it out. And I did. Like, you know, I, I transformed that company in a lot of ways. Really? Yeah. I mean, it was, that company was so not entrepreneurial. Like it was the epitome of anti-entrepreneurship at that company. People like, were lifers there. They had been there for 30 years. It was like super depressing, like very old. Like there was nobody young there and they had no innovation. It was just like sad town, that place. But like when I came in there and started, you know, looking at this and wondering about that and just like asking my normal questions like, oh, why don't we try this? Or what about this? Just like being what I would normally do in any given situation. Again, not knowing that it was entrepreneurial thinking at that time, I hadn't really done any education or it. my dad certainly never really talked about it. And um, it, people were like, oh, yeah, let's try that. Oh, cool. And they kind of let me run with it. And there's things got got built and we made new products and we made new, more money. And the people like really got excited. And I kind of like created a culture there that didn't previously exist. And when I left, people were like legitimately sad. Like they were really, really, really sad that I was leaving. Um, but it was a good place to kind of start my career. Wow. Yeah. Okay, that's a cool story. But you did leave. You didn't become like some plastics mogul. No, I I did. I did create some products there that they still sell and that have probably sold tens of millions of units. Um, so, and I probably had I stayed at that company, I could probably be running that company right now. Like they were pretty good about sort of like growing from the inside. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I'm glad that I did leave. It was. It's not what I wanted to do. Um, but, uh, yeah, eventually I left. It was just because the whole internet thing was happening. It was like, you know, early nineties, middle night of the nineties and Mm -hmm. like, you know, stuff was on fire and I was like, Oh, I got to go see what this is all about. Right. And I kind of knew at that time that I was like somewhat entrepreneurial and like I was having some success just like tinkering. I like to use that, that word tinker. Um, but I still, no one had like, Hey, you're an entrepreneur. Like I hadn't heard that. Yeah, that what that term is like a more new. I mean, it's not new, but it's like in vogue recently. It's not not even recently. Like in the last ten years, it's become in vogue. But yeah. at that time, it was almost like a black mark. Like if you were an entrepreneur, you basically lazy. It's like what does that mean? That you can't get a job? Yeah, you can't get a job. Yeah. You like didn't go to school. Like you don't really give a shit. Like you're just like not really. There's no real value. That that word was not valuable at all at that time. So nobody coined me that. Um, it wasn't until later that I started to like see that, that circle existed. And really until the first internet boom, did it even become a thing that people started like being, you know, interested in. Right. Okay. So what'd you leave to go do? I went to go to this other company. Um, I just met this guy that came in to pitch kind of like what you were saying about, um, that, uh, the entertainment startup fund and, and whatnot that, that wasn't actually falling through his deal. So they would like bring in people from the outside that had ideas and they'd be like, oh, that's awesome. Like, let's do that. And then nothing would ever happen. But I got to be called into a lot of these meetings and they had this like, 
this kind of shaker hustler guy that I like somewhat resonated with that had this startup idea and like had sort of put some pieces together and he needed, um, he needed basically money from the owner of this company was really what it came down to, but he kind of pitched it like they could kind of be involved. It was pretty slick. And I was like, well, that's a clever way to kind of try and skin it. And I just started talking to him. He's like, yeah, I'm building this company. Why don't you come over and work with me? And so I went and worked with him. And um, in the end, yeah, we weren't, we didn't, there was really nothing being built, which was very common at that time. Like the whole startup scene was a lot of smoke and mirrors. Right. And it was one of those. But he was good at sort of like positioning chess pieces to, you know, get some results. And since I was like, you know, under his tree, like stuff fell. And I, I, I got experience. I met people. I made some money. Like they did get a very odd sketchy liquidity event that I had some stock and so I made some money and so I got like ego boost and like all that kind of stuff but it nothing really panned out in terms of the grand vision of that it was a lot and a lot of people kind of lost a lot of money but it was good (laughs) it was a good sort of crash course and like that there's opportunity here if you can kind of like position the pieces in the right way be creative yeah yeah basically and so I like I was like oh maybe I could do that you know um and that's that's how I kind of got to there and what I learned from there. And then towards the latter part of the the internet 1.0 boom, you know, when things were kind of past peaking and about, you know, some people were starting to see the writing on the wall, I was like, oh, I'm going to go start something. So that was my first, like, actual startup. And it was with, I ended up starting that with, like, uh, five co-founders, like, friends from high school and, like, other guys, like, two investment banking guys and just, like, really had no idea what I was doing. Like, mm-hmm. um, I had learned some stuff and had some skills, but I didn't really know anything about like starting a company or building a product or making money or being profitable or like any of the stuff that you like should be thinking about when you're actually launching something. So we just we just kind of built some things and they were cool and you know nothing ever came of it. it there was a we did start a real company we raised a little bit of money and we like hired some people and and built some stuff but again it, there was no business model there was no you know there really wasn't anything spectacular there there was some interesting tech and some stuff we did was kind of on the edge but um and then the whole thing started you know the whole internet thing crashed at that time and there was really no way to like save it so that that thing completely crashed and burned um, so that was my first taste of failure, like major failure. Like I lost a year, year's worth, maybe more of work. Um, I had lost other people's money. I put, a, you know, some of my own money in. It was certainly a lot of, a lot of stress. Yeah. Um, I'm sure there's a lot of learning. There was, but it took some time to like appreciate that right. learning. Yeah. yeah. It's like there was a good three or four months where I was like pretty in a pretty dark place. And it, it definitely permanently damaged relationships with people that I had been partners with, like co-founders. Um, one guy in particular. Um, so there was there was damage done. And in the yeah. end, like, yes, a ton was learned, you know, probably. But you don't realize that, like, in the moment. No, and you did, I didn't realize that in the aftermath. I was pissed. I was like, there was a lot of bitterness and resentment and anger and, like, you know, frustration and, like, all those feelings were there. And I also was not, like, very well equipped as a human being to, like, deal with feelings. Like, you know, I kind of grew up in this period in the 80s where it was, like, you know, somewhat more touchy-feely than the 70s and 60s like where my parents sort of grew up and so they were like all about talking you know about things that was kind of a big big thing and like maybe going to therapy and doing that kind of stuff but they actually looking back they didn't really have a lot of 
like they had good intentions, but they didn't actually have any good like skills and methods. It was sort of like yeah. just sort of coming out. So I didn't really have a great, I didn't really great have great like life emotional skills. So that was kind of painful at that time. And it, that was part of also learning and being an entrepreneur is like, how do I be a better human being? That's kind of, you know, a big part of the road and the process it's been for me. Um, but anyway, so I, out, out of that, um, I just, I finally sort of got out of that funk and like, was like, I got to make some money. And I was, I felt like I was decent at building software from that. I had learned a lot about software. And prior to that, I really didn't know anything other than building websites, which were just HTML at that time. I, I didn't know anything about software. I didn't study software. Um, but I, we built software and we had guys that were very smart. Like our, one of the co-founders was this, like, he's like a total genius. He went to university of Waterloo, like just really smart dude. And I learned a lot from him in terms of like what could be done, you know, and we got along really well. And that, that experience was really cool because I would be like, I would think of these ideas of like, can we do this? And he'd be like, Oh my God, we can totally do that. You know, it was like that amazing product engineer relationship where the engineer can build anything but doesn't necessarily know what to build and why right and i could like come up with anything but have no idea actually how to make it come to life and so there was a, a great experience there especially while things were good um and i learned a lot i'm sure he learned a lot for me too it just didn't we didn't i didn't know the business side of it i sort of learned a lot about the product side of it um and those had to be kind of mirrored later to actually create a company um but i took those skills and that interest in software and i took the things that i had learned at that first company which were largely around the business dysfunction you know i came to that company and they had all these dysfunctional processes that just didn't logically make sense to me it was like well when we're going to create a new product we do like we do this then this then this then this then this and this and this and like why do you do all that like oh we've been doing that for 30 years like that's the way you do it and i was like that doesn't make any sense why don't we try this and then then you know New, these things just worked, but I never really applied software to it. And so when I realized you could like automate a lot of stuff with software and like track and organize and, you know, all that kind of thing with software, I was like, I think I could be good at that. And so I started like a, just a consulting software for hire company and did that for a number of years and built a decent company that way. And that's kind of how I got out of that, that uh, low point. Right. Well, it took some time to figure out what your what you were good at, what your skill set was, what yeah. your knowledge was, and like that failure set you up for this. Yeah. Without it, it, you weren't you wouldn't have had. No, that. for sure. I it was you know looking back, I'm, I couldn't be more grateful for the uh, the experience. Yeah. But it, when you're in the middle of it, it's yeah, that's how sucks. life is. It sucks that you can't be appreciative while it's happening. Right. Like, right now we're building this company. I'm I like I definitely tell myself, oh, you're learning a lot. Right. I'm making no money. Like it's hard as hell. Right. I'm getting, I'm getting a lot of connections and I'm learning a lot. But like I have to like constantly tell myself that like, this is good. This is good. Like you don't want to go work for someone else. You don't want to just like go get a right. paycheck. Like, that's not you. Right. You but, can only tell yourself that so much. And then sometimes you're just like, dude, but it's hard. It's and hard. you're in a tougher spot. Like I didn't have, I wasn't married. I didn't have a kid yeah. coming. I didn't have a house. Well, I did have a house actually, but it was, I didn't have the same amount of responsibility. So it wasn't, there wasn't as much stress. Right, my co-founders have nothing. Not yeah. married. It's definitely no easier to build a company when you have like nothing but your shirt on your back. Yeah. For sure. No so question about it. Glad I got them, but my life is my life. I got what I got. So uh, <laughs> back to you. So you figured out that like you're good at building software. You start doing this for companies. I would imagine you eventually like get an idea where like I, I can do this myself now. I can stop doing this like as a service or I can put some, yeah. some equity, take some risk of myself. I didn't have that idea. Um, somebody else had that idea 
this the guy one of the guys that was in um, that startup that failed who was uh, he was like a tech guy you know in at heart but wanted to be a business guy so he was like kind of like trying to get away from tech and so he went and got his his MBA after that crashed and burned and I went in off this direction he went to SC to get his MBA and um, try to get away from the tech software side. And then when he graduated, we still remained friends and he did some programming on the side for me at that company. And when he came out, he must have learned at school, like you gotta build exactly what you just said, like you gotta find a product that you can scale and build and like license and whatever. And so he had that idea or he brought that to me. Uh-huh. I was like, dude, you should build something with all this stuff you're building. like you don't own any of this stuff and you make, yeah, they'll pay you like a hundred grand for building something, but that's it. Right, there's no scale there. Right, there's no scale. No one's going to buy that. It's people, you know? And I was like, good point, good point. And so just hearing that like got me to reframe how I looked at the company and like it didn't take very long to realize like, oh, there's a ton of products I could turn into potential SaaS businesses. Um, And we just kind of evaluated everything and I, I, I... you know, presented all the things that we have and where I thought the opportunities were and just sort of like shared that with him and, and came up with the Leads 360 or what's now called Velocify. Uh-huh. Um, and that's how that company was born. We essentially incubated it, you know, because we had an office, we had revenue, we had like resources um, at that other company. So we had like the infrastructure to kind of spin this thing up without having to raise any money. And raising money wasn't like a thing at that time. Like there were some, a few VCs here in LA, but like there was no incubators and accelerators right. and like there was no money to be had, like not really. Um, so uh, we kind of had to just bootstrap it on our own. That's how we were able to do it. And sometimes, I mean, not sometimes, all the time, it's, it's better to have limited resources at the beginning. You have to think more creatively, you have to be different. Like if you had all this money in the beginning, like it's just, the, the, the product doesn't go to the same place. I. I, I tell, like, I work with a lot of, like, entrepreneurs and startup guys that are building their companies, and, like, 90 out of 100, 99 out of 100, like, their number one thing they want to do is raise money. Like, they just want to raise money. They want to, they think that's the solution to all their problems. And I try to, like, encourage them to, you know, really either not do it or think very, you know, think a lot about it because exactly what you said it actually can do more damage in the early days. I mean, once you get that check in, you now aren't as constrained. And so you end up making bad decisions. I, I've done it myself. Like, I've done it twice. You know, it's like I, you put a bunch of money in the bank and it's like, oh, we could hire that person. We don't really need that person. But if we hired that person, maybe we could do this. And then you start down that path and you're like, oh, we could also do this. And we could also do this and also do this. All of a sudden you're doing like 20 things and you do all 20 shitty instead right. of one thing really good. Yeah. You know? I heard the guy from freeconferencecall.com talk about this. He never took a single dollar from anyone. Yeah. He built this massive business that he said something like 5% of all humans have, have, used, yeah, have used it or something. For sure. And he said it's really hard to raise money when you need it, but really easy to raise money when you don't need it. Right. He's like, and now I get buyout offers every single day and I don't need it. Right. Yeah, that's, no, that's true. It's like there's definitely value in trying to you know, not. Or if you have to take some, like take very little, you know, there's a flip side argument that it's like it's when you do need it, it is hard to get. And so if you can get it now, get as much as you can. Like that's another. Well, if strategy. you can get it, fucking take it. It's hard to get. But I mean, yeah, there's like everyone like we were talking about before. Everyone just wants to raise money because like that's the cool thing to do. It's like right. oh, it's cool to put on Crunchbase. I raised a million dollars. Like that's a 
there's nothing to that. Like you haven't done anything with right, that money. Right. People take that as a, as a political right. Point. It, yeah, it's it's a dangerous sort of way to look at things. Um, yeah, and like I'm helping this startup here in WeWork right now, and the guy, the CEO, is. I use the term knucklehead in a in a endearing way. Like he's a knucklehead because he gets in his own way, he won't listen, he like is very he thinks he's gotta, you know, raise money and like he's got he's attached to these ideas. On the other hand, like he's a hustler and like he gets shit done and like he like he's building things and making money and like he's got a real business. And I was like, dude, let's just optimize this thing you have. We can make it 10x just on what steam you already have. Let's do that. Oh no, no no I gotta do I gotta get the money I gotta do the whole thing I just, I'm like dude you got this asset right here that's like very poorly organized and optimized like let's just fix that and then you'll have a bunch of resources you can go off and raise money by the way you're gonna get a way better valuation once you do that anyway and nobody's gonna invest in this if they look at the, under the hood they're gonna be like this is a fucking crap like it's a mess so um, there's a lot of guys like that and it's it's frustrating to be on the outside and be like here's what you should do um, and then they're like. Okay, cool, thanks, but I'm going to go do this. You know, yeah. something I can do about that. But Okay, so th- this first company that you incubated, you started, this turned out to be a good success for you. Yeah, it was a big win. I mean, it took a long time, and there was a lot of ups and downs, and we did raise money, but not for a while. Um, and when we did finally raise money, we were, we were doing decent revenue. I think we were like two or $300,000 a month in revenue, um, recurring revenue. So it was easier to raise, but it's still harder. Like, if, if we had started that company somewhere in the last five, seven years, we probably, you know, would have raised 100 plus million at billion plus valuations with the amount of revenue revenue and profitability we were doing. Like very few companies go out to raise their first round and have 300,000 in recurring revenue with 150,000 EBITDA, like just not a thing. So um, because of the times and there wasn't that many people and it wasn't really like a thing, like the whole heart startup thing wasn't, wasn't like a big deal. Um, you know, we got more right sized terms, you know, we raised, I think the first raise was like 5 million or three and a half, 4 million on, on 10 or 11 or something like that, you know, which is cool, but it's not, it's not amazing. And that was a true series A, like we skipped right to the series. There was no seed or pre-seed or like all that shit. Now there's all these classifications, yeah. but yeah. Um, I actually met our investors and I met your attorney, um, Alderton, at uh, a Anderson fast pitch competition that I won. Mm, wow. And they were judges. That's how I met those guys. And then Rustic ended up investing and that's how Scott became huh. our corporate cool. attorney. Yeah. That's, that's, that's awesome. Yeah. And so how many years what, did from, it, from start to sell for this? I think one? it was like 14 years. Yeah. That's what people also don't realize. It's like there's no overnight anything. Not like, common. I mean, yeah, it happens. There are there are stories, and it will, there'll always be stories. But like generally, it takes a long time, and it takes a you know it's stressful along the way. You know, and I stayed um, at that company for eight years roughly, and then left from a day to day perspective, um, which was a big big learning period for me, where I like I realized I don't like running big companies like I'm not interested in that so when it became certain size like the the generalist skill set that I had was of no real value not appreciated and somewhat uh disruptive you know so it was better in the long run for the company for me to kind of move on plus there wasn't like I was going to get any more stock by staying there so I made the same amount of money I would have made if I stayed 15 years or left after eight right yeah okay so we've talked a lot about 
this idea of being an entrepreneur. Uh, so what what is it that, that makes someone a good entrepreneur? It's like just a willingness to do many, many tasks? Is it like just uh, like willingness to not take no for an answer and determination? Like what do you think it is inside of you? I mean, it's different. I think there is different types of entrepreneurs. Like my my type is can do a lot of stuff. And so like I can get an idea to market generating revenue and potential to scale like almost single-handedly you know i can you know get the thing built i can write code myself i can do photoshop i can write copy like i can do everything i can do customer service like i can do everything and that's basically what i've done for the last several companies so that's my skill set and that's one way there are other people that are just really good at getting other people to do stuff Right. Right. So those are those kind of people are good at raising money. They're good at hiring the right people. Like I'm not the best hire. Like that's not my skill set. Um, but there are other people that are great at that. And like they're just good at like kind of like keeping everybody focused and in direction and having the best people around them. Um, to be honest, that's probably a better type of entrepreneur if you want to build like a monster company, because what I just shared and what I found is like I can only take it so far and I become disinterested at a certain point. And less effective at a certain point because you need like the specialists at that point. So the skill set of being able to, you know, find, cultivate and optimize specialists is a much more scalable skill set. So those probably those entrepreneurs will scale a business further. But I would recommend, you know, find out what yours are and work, you know, optimize to that. It's kind of like focus on your strengths, the whole Marcus Buckingham, like philosophy you know just like focus on your strengths rather than your weaknesses don't try to be that guy if you're not that guy you know you're just gonna it's not gonna work and it's gonna be frustrating it's gonna take a long time and maybe you'll like maybe you might get it but like by you know by the time you're out of college like you should have a decent sense if you start working on things like where you're good at and it's usually the things you like like if you really enjoy like the hiring process and like getting people to be their best then you'll see that skill set sort of evolve, you know? Right. But if you like, you know, uh, you know, cleaning and organizing and, you know, putting pieces together to make, like, you know, the, the, the basics of a, of a company, then you might have more of my skill set. And there's, there's tons of other permutations of it. But it, I think for me, at least, it's, like, identifying what you're really good at, what you really love to do, and then optimizing to build that build the startup in that way and just realizing that like that may mean you are set up to go the long distance and that may mean that you're not you know like the more and more i work the more i like think like i might just like start companies get them to a certain point and then pay it like sell them or leave and give it to someone else like i just don't i'd rather do it again you know i just i like that especially in mobile it's I really enjoy getting things off the ground to a point where it's like, yeah, I can see how you could scale this. Okay, somebody else go scale it. You know? Yeah, totally. Um, okay, so let's say you're talking to, you told me before we start here, you've got, you've got nine-year-olds, but let's say they're 20 now and one of them, they're graduating from school. And like, it's popular now to be an entrepreneur and like people that I went to business school with, they wanted to be entrepreneurs just for entrepreneur's sake. Like, right. I don't know that, that that that's quite a thing or that really works, but but maybe. Um, but they know like, oh, I'm, I want to be like you, Dad. I want to be an entrepreneur. Like, what do you tell them? You say, go work for that plastic company. Go like do something for someone else. Go figure something else out, and then try to see something or or, or just, just yeah. Start. I'm just gonna, like I I probably if my kids got to that point, 
as an example, um, I probably would have a sense of sort of what they're good at, what they're like. So I'd try and direct them uniquely to, to them in, as individuals, but in a, a general kind of way, I pro probably like the best choice would be to go work for another entrepreneur that's like already experienced and gather what you can from them. That's probably going to give you the best probability of accelerated result. I think if you take the path where you just go work for a company and you just keep your eyes open and look and start to see, like that will work too, like it worked for me, but I think it would take longer and may not develop you at all. If you just jump into it and start your own companies, like you may crash and burn a few times and then figure it out, but it may be harder or take longer. You might give up, like it might not work, but going to work for like, not necessarily Zuckerberg or something like that, but going to, going to someone that's like clearly done this for a while, been doing it, has a good company, some company that you like, like and respect and enjoy. Right. And just like try and absorb as much as you can from that person or those people. Like, you know, for me, I would, I would go back. There was a guy that I learned a lot from indirectly at, at the early days of Velocify, um, who's a great entrepreneur who started this company, Lower My Bill. His name is Matt Coffing. He's still in it, a guy around here, but he had a pretty good exit there. So we kind of like, I don't know what he does these days, but he goes on boats and like cruises around the country and the world. But anyway, he um, like he won the Ernst & Young uh, Entrepreneur of the Year, the year that they sold Lower My Bills. And we did a lot of work with them. And I became close to him and like learned a lot from him. If I had worked for him, which incidentally, looking back, there actually was a path where I had met with him like when he was hiring his very first person for that company, like another friend of mine was very good friends with him, introduced me to him. And like I was contemplating leaving that plastic company before I went and worked for that other dude. And that was another guy I met with. And he's like, yeah, I'm starting this lower my bills company. Like I'm looking for like my right hand man. And like, I sometimes think back, like what would that have been like? Had if I gone down that path, certainly I would have learned a lot from him and I would have been part of a company that had a huge exit a lot sooner than mine did. Um, it's interesting like in retrospect, but anyway, that would have been a great choice from a learning experience because I did end up learning a lot from him, but it was, it was a degree away because he was at a partner company. So I got some insight from him and some knowledge and, and experience, but not as much as if I'd worked for him. And right. we, you know, we got along really well. And um, so if you can find someone like that and then really absorb their experiences, I think that will accelerate you a ton. Yeah, I agree. And so this will be the last question. It sounds like in your career, just like you were talking about, you've had this opportunity to be the right-hand man for a bunch of great founders. Like, how have you put yourself in that position? Like, how, how have you done that? Well, interesting that you say that, because I actually don't think that. Like, I think I was tangentially near guys like that. One, I didn't have the foresight to think it about it in that way at the time. Like, that plastic company, like, the guy that was the founder of that company was... A smart guy he wasn't really entrepreneurial like more traditional like my dad but he was smart and like had a lot of stuff and I didn't really make a di distinct effort to like extract from him in that way where I probably could have gotten a lot more if I did but I was in the right spot and a lot of stuff sort of filtered down because of it same thing with um, the Matt Coffin situation like I got a lot from him but I didn't really think about it at the time like oh dude this is the guy I need to get my knowledge from I knew I had to align with his company and that was a big plus for our company, but I was still somewhat on my own. Um, so, and through my career, I've kind of been on my own with these, these people sort of around. They're like, and I did extract little bits, 
but I could have done a better job to be more like uh, focused on that goal. Um, I just think, I guess I was pretty good at just watching. I guess that's really how I always learned. Like I was never good at like studying and regurgitating, but I was good at sort of watching somebody do something and then replicating it. Right. I mean, because I think people listening to this podcast, they're like, oh, that's like, I wish someone would take me under their wings. You know, how do I, like, what do I even do to get in that position that, like, that you didn't fully take advantage of, but you were still in that position? Yeah, I guess that's true. Yeah, that, if you look at it that way, that's true. Right. Yeah, I mean, I'm always looking for those kinds of people that I can, like, work with that are, uh, like, hustlers and want to learn and, like, you know, um, want to absorb that experience and work hard for me to, like, help me do what I'm trying to do, too. So, and a lot of entrepreneurs are that way. I mean, you're in this cool WeWork co-working space, like, consulting, helping companies here. So I think it's just like putting yourself out there yeah. in the startup world and saying like, here's my skill set. Here's what I want to do. I'm hungry. I'm passionate. I'm driven. Yeah. See what happens. Yeah. I think you got to do that. And I, I also, I teach now at Brentwood too, and I teach an entrepreneurship class to high school students. So I like, I really enjoy seeing these, these younger kids, like trying to figure out how they navigate this, uh, this path. Well, that's that's so cool. Jeff, I want to thank you for coming yeah. on here, for giving us your advice, your story. This was fun speaking with you. Cool. Awesome. Thanks so much for having me. Thanks for listening today. Let me know what you think. Leave us a review on iTunes and tell your friends. Thanks.